Welcome back to another edition of the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast. With me today is Trev. You might know him as Precarious Photo on Twitter or the guy giving you random 3D printing advice. Trev, how you doing? I feel very relieved to finally get to hear your voice uh, and, and talk to you instead of just just through Twitter. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, exciting to talk to you for sure. It seems like it's the probably the fourth or fifth draft that we've kind of talked about on Twitter. Yeah, I I, I counted four, um, but I, I'd hope it's five and I hope it's six next year. Um, definitely. I, I was bummed. I was hoping to make it out uh, to Vancouver because um, you're a Vancouver area resident, correct? Sure am. Not, yep. not to give away too much uh, of your your location to the government but i do try and keep a low profile yes we both bond over the off the grid lifestyle <laughs> yeah uh no i'm here and i'm not even going to be able to make it to the draft this year so i don't blame you well you know it's it's vancouver there's a lot of uh traffic there's a lot of uh empty houses for you uh to visit exactly tons and tons of empty houses we're going to be like Detroit soon. <laughs> hopefully with, uh, hopefully, hopefully that means your heroin problem would clean up a bit. <laughs> oh no, that's not going away. <laughs> I remember in, in high school, uh, me and the original co-host of this podcast, me and Matthew O'Brien went to high school together in Philadelphia and they showed, um, a, an anti-heroin video about, uh, these, these former, uh, Vancouver, you know, high school athletes that, that, you know, live on the street. And there was a couple of Vancouver hockey players that, uh, got into the scene and that always stuck with us. You know, we didn't want to be like them. Yeah. Don't do heroin. You'll end up in Vancouver. <laughs> and you, you just can't afford to buy a house there. It's just no place. To be. That's true. Even if you don't do heroin, you can't afford to buy a house here. No, it's, uh, I, I'm not sure if you've ever been to Vancouver, but the east side is it's a scary place. I, I have been to Vancouver the one time, and uh, I can remember that it's pretty pretty uh, on the right side of the tracks. Uh, I didn't see, you know, there's always a wrong side of the tracks in most me big metropolitan areas. But, uh, you know, from what I've seen and, and what, you know, TV shows us, Vancouver's pretty nice looking, too. It, it's a beautiful city for like three or four blocks when you're in the right area, and then it's just squalor and homeless people. Uh, just because of our weather, you come here and you can live outside all year, not freeze to death. Do those three or four blocks have enough drinking to handle the NHL media? Oh yeah, definitely. No, there, there's lots of famous bars here that uh, the media and the players frequent. Well, that that's all it takes to host a good draft. Uh, you know. I, I went to the draft in Buffalo and, you know, there's not many tourism attractions uh, in Buffalo, but still was able to host a great uh, draft with uh, all the local beer providers. The only thing to do in Buffalo is drink. That's correct. I Another reason it's always good to have you on is uh, it's great to have a Canadian perspective. Um, you know, I like to respect the roots of the sport and for me, that is Canada, Russia, and Sweden have all uh, have a very long history and grassroots movement that I kind of identify with. So to get a native speaker, as I like to say on the podcast, <laughs> uh, is good. Yeah, definitely. It's different. 
in Canada than it is in the States. Uh, when I was in high school, I went to New Zealand to play rugby and I didn't really realize what rugby was until we were in New Zealand. And I think it's kind of the same if you go to Russia or Canada with hockey. Right. There's that, uh, encompasses all parts of life, all parts of marketing and business. It's just kind of in every it's facet. Just absolutely everywhere. And even the people who don't like hockey, they know enough about hockey to have a conversation about it. Yeah. I remember just, you know, being a young teenager and, and females thinking it was exotic that I played hockey. And, <laughs> and you know, that was enough to, to boost me over some of my competitors, uh, so to speak. And, you know, if you go to Canada or Russia or Sweden, that's not really happening. No, you're the most basic white boy if you play hockey here. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we don't want to offend anyone. That's not really an insult. Uh... No, and in Canada, there's it's still a easily the biggest. Soccer's getting up there now a little bit, but uh, hockey is still easily the biggest sport for sure. How do you, How do you feel about the Toronto Raptors victory? It's the only NBA game I've watched in full in the last 20 years since the Grizzlies left. I haven't. And yeah, I, I don't haven't, don't care at all. <laughs> I, I haven't watched a full NBA game like really like sitting there paying full attention to an NBA game since Allen Iverson was in the finals versus the Lakers in like 2000 2001 or something like that. So I'm right there with you. But it, yep. it you know. What, whatever makes uh, the Leafs fans more miserable, like seeing an, a championship parade in their town not being the Leafs, uh, is good in my book. So I like that. That's my take, and that's most of Canada's take. Uh, so when they had the We the North slogan, I was kind of making fun of them because most of the North didn't care. <laughs> and most of, the, most of the North of Canada is not Toronto. <laughs> well, and Toronto's not even North. They're yeah. farther south than a lot of the U.S. is. That's a good point. And I, I believe they're further south than Detroit. Yeah, I'm or pretty De sure they're at least close, yeah. Or Detroit for uh, for those Ontarians. Yeah, they have – I don't really think Western Canadians have much of an accent. The Ontario accent is interesting. No, no. I mean, it, it's hard for me to, to pick an Albertan or a British Columbian out from, say, someone from Washington or Oregon. Um, or Montana even they seem to kind of maybe has one similar accent but it, it's not like New York Boston Toronto Detroit you know like those all have pretty weird vowel sounds and things like that but yeah you definitely know if somebody's from there I can't you know you don't have it but maybe that's just because you have you know the voice for radio <laughs> um, I'm a bit of a mumbler I don't have a voice for anything but uh I definitely have a face for radio. That makes two of us. It's it's fun. It's funny because I I just always assume you look like the guy getting slapped and. Uh... That is me getting slapped. Oh okay. Well then nailed it. <laughs> I got <laughs> slapped fourteen times for that photo. Yeah, I mean, that's just a usual day for me. So. There you go. There you go. Uh, I think. It's nice for me to have you on this podcast, and again, I guess I'm just listing off reasons why I like having you on this podcast. Is I think our lists are probably more comparable than me and any other public list, or me and you know ISS, McKean's, etc. Looking at these draft guides that are definitely coming more and more um, 
coming out more and more as, as this week goes on. Um, but the the affinity for Hockey IQ, the affinity for the WHL and European players, um, I think uh, definitely resonates with both of us. We tend to be pretty similar, uh, more so than, yeah, a lot of the standard stuff. Although we definitely, like I can see a few people on our list that we disagree on pretty drastically. Uh, it's definitely not, what's the athletic guy, Pronman? He's my least yes. favorite. His list is always nothing like mine. We usually Pronman and I have a good bit of overlap, but this year's especially, um, I've been pretty opposite, you know. And, and I'm usually way off of of Wheeler, who's another guy for the Athletic. And I think mm-hmm. before was on Fan Sided or um, SB Nation or something like that. Um, like I kind of somewhere fall in between like the crazy part of Craig Button's list, like the, <laughs> you know, like those crazy reaches he has, and like the European flair of Prime in in most years, uh, and you know his his appreciation of a, a good Russian forward uh, in most years. Uh, I you know I'm somewhere in between there. Yeah, and then this year, the thing that's throwing me off more than anything is the amount of good goalies in the couple first couple, maybe three rounds. And I'm just, like a lot of people, I'm not good at evaluating goaltenders. And I just kind of have to go with how I feel about them rather than any technical analysis. Yeah, and I definitely, I think, didn't see enough of the CHL goalies this year. If I if I'm like critiquing my own my own year year in review here live on my hockey, um, but yeah, like there's a lot of guys like Gautier, Miner, um, some some guys who I've noticed. Well, I maybe don't have enough to see like their full game and and judge their consistency. Uh, they can make big saves. They're pretty athletic. They they don't give up. And um, you know, I'm not usually at pick. You know, at goalie rank ranked nine or 10 and, and still having those feelings about goalies. That's usually, you know, uh Saul Chuck at, you know, my fifth or sixth ranked goalie, uh, where I kind of get into that territory. So that was kind of cool to see. Yeah, definitely. And some of them are at least appear to be pretty NHL ready. Like they could play in the next year or two. Yeah. And I think the one that I probably, rated lower down my list, but I think you might be talking about is Mad Sogard. Um, Yep. I think he might take a little more development, uh, but I've liked him for a long time. Uh, Really a lot of potential there. He's kind of a, he's got Ben Bishop written all over him. Yeah. 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 I definitely see that. I mean, he is, he is six, seven, um, but it's not just, the, the fact that he's 6'7", because, you know, a lot of goalies who, I, I think once you get over 6'4", in a goalie, a lot of guys kind of rely on that, maybe a little too much for um, my liking, but he he still gets um, kind of that, like, Liberto Longo is a very tall, lanky goalie, but he uses his hands and his feet, like, it, he kicks a lot of pucks, he gloves a lot of pucks, he kind of grabs pucks with blockers, and I think um Sogard's kind of in the same way he doesn't just block he uses his limbs and, and tries to eat pucks with his his long limbs and kind of octopus them in which um is nice to see and something like you said Ben Bishop does as well definitely yeah he's more athletic than a lot of the taller guys are 
I don't want to get stuck on going into too much on goalies because you know as Florida <laughs> Panthers fans and and uh, we we could really really get in there. Um, it's also what I'm worst at, so we can completely stay away from that. It I I I kind of want to just dive back into a little more about you and just kind of how you got into the Florida Panthers. Um, we're both not from Florida. I mean, I, I don't know too much of your life story, but I, I, I don't think you're from Florida. Never been to Florida. Never been to Florida. I love it. I've been to Florida a few times. I've been to the BB&T once, so, you know, I'm not, like, you know, ahead of you or anything. Uh, and that was for a draft. It wasn't even for a hockey game, so. There you go. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to uh, hoping to get down in the next couple of years uh, i'm gonna try and talk my wife into it at some point if there's a playoff game this year maybe right it would be really hard not to uh i'm gonna have a almost one-year-old daughter at that point so i might not uh might not have the option to but um i, I yeah that would be a dream come true for me yeah congratulations on your uh future hockey player um definitely thank uh, you and you know or whatever sport uh she would decide to play um i'm sure you'll you'll figure it out and scout the crap out of it and get her (laughs) all set up with all the connections and trainers and all that stuff um you seem to be a pretty on top of it guy sometimes unless i'm not so how did you how did you choose the panthers that, that far out uh I don't know. There's a couple of things that I remember because I was pretty young. Uh, I remember getting Panthers hockey cards because we used to trade hockey cards at school and thinking it was a cool jersey. And it was, I think, the first year that they were a team. Uh, So I started collecting cards, which I still have. And I also remember a book, and I don't know who wrote it, who published it, but it was like a Florida Panthers book and I think there was an Anaheim Ducks one too didn't care about the Anaheim one at all uh Van Beesbrook was on the cover of the Panthers one and I remember reading that and thinking it was just a cool cool team cool story about how they became a team uh even then like the idea of an expansion draft where you're picking your players to start your team was really interesting yeah I definitely resonated with with the jersey as well i remember in the 97 playoffs and even um, 96 playoffs uh kind of my first hockey memories uh and seeing those jerseys and just you know just being drawn to it and and trying to learn more and find out and and talking about them more Uh, and it's a shame they kind of ditched that because i think you know the 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 kids who fell in love with that jersey now have disposable income uh so it kind of (laughs) feels like hey they should at least incorporate this for a third jersey or something if they want uh some merch money because i think i'd be willing to pay uh tooth and nail and i know a lot of people my age would be as well yeah absolutely that jersey with barkov on the back and a c i'm i'll pay whatever yeah make it yellow and put some palm trees on it (sighs) perfect oh man yeah so i I like you because I'm with you because, you know, and I feel good about that because I was a young kid and I, and I saw that jersey and it's like, I like that jersey and, and you you did as well. And, you know, uh, with your photography and, and 3D printing background, you have much more of a design 
uh, eye than than I do. So <laughs> so that makes me feel good about myself, and I think Florida should feel good about those jerseys and bring them back. Definitely. Hopefully, they'll do it for a third jersey. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess let's let's start getting into the draft and and start talking a, a little a bit in general if there's a certain player profile or certain traits in in hockey players uh coming into the draft that you key in on or you prioritize or you kind of notice that you have a bias towards yeah definitely the hockey iq thing is not it's something everybody talks about but a lot of people i don't think really pay as much attention to as they say they do uh, if you can't make decisions with the puck, if you don't know what you're doing, if you're not creative, it doesn't matter how good you are at any particular skill, you're not going to make it. Or if you do make it, you're going to be mostly useless. With Beyond hockey, that. Yeah, with Hockey IQ, I always like to um, say it's not always just decisions with the puck. It's kind of... It's knowing when to get off the ice. It's knowing when to just chip the puck out or when to get the puck to your partner or when to join the rush. Um, and there's a and there's a lot of little tiny things that no one ever notices about Sasha Barkov's, Barkov's game, which show hockey IQ. And then, you know, if you compare him to a player like Vincent Trocek, who's very high skill, high compete, but maybe kind of lacks some of that subtlety and, and uh, game management and smartness to his game where he's always going 100 he never dials it back he never kind of adjusts to the game and you know the ice in front of him no exactly he's he's a valuable player but he's not anywhere near as valuable as Barkov because he doesn't have that insane ceiling with his intelligence and how he plays the game for this year's draft class um it seems to be anywhere viewed from, you know, an average to an above average draft class. Is is that kind of lining up with, with what you're seeing? Um, and is there any kind of generalized kind of statements you can make about the draft, whether it's, you know, they have forwards or defensemen, NHL readiness, th- those types of things? Yeah, I've heard a couple people call it kind of the Swiss Army knife of draft classes because whatever you want, it's got it. You can find a center, you can find a winger, you can find a lot of defensemen. And for the most part, after you get past, I don't know, 12-ish, it's pretty even from 12 down to about, I don't know, 40. You can get good players all the way through there. Uh, As far as the NHL readiness, I've heard people say they think there's going to be six or eight guys that play next year. I don't see that. Uh, at all I see one that should definitely play and maybe one or two others that could depending who drafts them but definitely not anywhere close to eight guys that are going to play in the NHL next year I was thinking the other day about that about how um, there's a lot of focus on the NHL readiness and uh, you know we were kind of talking about this uh, off off air that um, you know it might just be that there is a lot of compete and there's a lot of aggressive uh, defenders who engage in the D zone and forwards who are very engaging on the forecheck and in the neutral zone at the top end of the draft, you know, uh, Krebs and Boldy, um, you know, even 
even guys like Turcotte uh, at the t- at the very top top end and, and Kako and Hughes are even pretty engaging, you know, away from the puck and and I think maybe that kind of colors and, and paints people more into these guys are NHL ready when uh, I think you know their skills can can develop more longer term even though they might have NHL readiness type of attitude. Yeah, a lot of them play a quote-unquote NHL-ready game, but they're mostly playing against, uh, in a lot of cases, USHL players. And that's just not, I think you guys talked about this on your last podcast, that's just not the same. So what you're doing right now is not going to work in the AHL as well, and it's certainly not going to work in the NHL as well. Right, and any time that you add an extra year of development or, you know, another year before they play NHL games, that's adding risk. That's adding um, the chance that you're leaving points or leaving games played on the table with somebody else. Um, You know, the way the NHL salary cap is structured, you need guys on the ECL to contribute. And sometimes a lot of your picks – that you put in, you know, in the mid teens or twenties, uh, by the time they're done, their RFAs are too expensive for you to keep. So, you know, getting a guy that's more NHL ready that you're going to use a little more, you know, before he's 25 might pay off big because once they're after 25, you don't control that. You don't guarantee them on your team. Yeah. There's definitely, definitely financial reasons to try and control how and when they develop. Uh, with the expansion draft coming up, there's even more reasons to be on top of all that stuff. Uh, a guy who's been tied to the Panthers just recently, uh, Moritz Sider, this is a guy that kind of seems like he could step in, if not next year, then the year after, and maybe be a guy on the entry-level contract that actually helps. Right. I mean, the biggest thing is where he plays next year for for Sider. Um, he's in the the Dell now, and I guess that's not a bad backup plan to to keep him there. But you're thinking you could probably get him into a Liga or an AHL team, and, and that might uh, help. And and we're definitely going to talk more about him and and his game because you know, like you said, he's a very realistic pick at 13, especially with you know what Promin, what Button, what you know the big megaphones on the draft are talking about, you know, if they're not lazily picking Spencer Knight at 13, it's, it's Cedars right up there. Yeah. And I hadn't, I I've had him as a potential Florida pick for a while, but I've just recently in the last couple of days, actually seen his name linked to Florida, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, so let's, before we talk about the, the 13th overall pick, which we'll do uh, shortly, let I just want to kind of get your idea of what you think Florida can accomplish with this draft, how you would strategize, how you'd kind of enter the draft. Um, given Florida's current draft pool and the fact that I think they have eight, eight picks in seven rounds or nine picks in seven rounds, something like that. Um, so mm-hmm. they have a, a, a good ab- ability to do a lot. So I know the, uh, Toronto school at the moment is to trade down, pick up more picks. Uh, I've always kind of had the opposite thought. I think it's generally, if you're confident in your scouting staff, 
try and trade up and get the best players you can. Go for quality over quantity. Uh, I think this is a draft where, because the kind of the media bias at the moment is, oh, everybody's kind of the same, why not trade back? So you might have the opportunity to get a player you didn't think you could get by trading up a little bit. Whether that's in the first round or the second round, hard to say. Yeah, and, and I mean, obviously there's some prospects that the re- the reason not to trade back is you just you just won't be able to get them. Um, one of the D that, I, that I'm big on, Vilja Hanola, if you trade back, it's very realistic that you would get him at 21-22. Uh, the way people are talking about Cider, like there's no way 2021-22 he's going to be available. So if he's the guy, it doesn't make sense to trade back. No, definitely. Uh, I can really, I could make a case, depending on what you're getting, to trade back and get a guy like Canola, who's, yeah, very, as far as him and Cider, I've got them in the same tier. They're very similar skill-wise as far as prospects, I would say. Uh, if you can pick up a substantial asset to trade back five, six, seven places, hard not to, but then is there an argument to try and trade up from your second round pick to pick up that first, depending on what you have to give up and pick up both of them? That would definitely be something I'd be willing to do, especially with my thoughts and feelings on the current D contracts in Florida <laughs> and, and the, the D pool. I mean, I, I, it's, you know, it, there's a very slim amount of names that I would be willing to keep into the next two, three years uh, if I was Florida GM and I was looking at the defense. So, you know, the way Tobias Bjornfoot is being viewed, the way that someone I'm really high on, Albert Johansson, is being viewed, um, you could, in essence, build a decor um, in this draft by trading back. And, you know, at 13, there's a chance that Podolskin or Kaliev are available and a team will want to trade up and will have incentive to, to pay fair or at least, you know, to pay good or at least pay fair uh, to move up to do that. So they could be looking at, you know, drafting 20-something, 40-something, and 52 and get, you know, a center and two defensemen and arguably get three players that are roughly around the talent of the guy they get at 13. Yeah, definitely an option, uh, especially if somebody does fall and another team is interested. Uh, I don't see a huge difference once you once you get past probably about the 20th pick from 20 to about 40. There's a heck of a lot of really good players in there. Sorry for the pause. I'm being I'm being told by my brother that. Uh, Barkov just said in his uh, speech for the Lady Bing, I guess he won it or whatever trophy, that uh, we have more fans from Finland than from Florida. Oh no! So that's 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 the Barky I know and love. Um, <laughs> I'm sure the uh, the PR guy for the Panthers just had a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> it's probably true, and you know at least. For the Florida Panthers profit line, that's an expanding market in Europe that they can tap into. Yeah, definitely. I I think uh, Europe and even Canada has plenty of potential for the Panthers. 
Yeah. Okay. So that's that, that's a tangent. Um, <laughs> let's let's get back in. Let's talk about the thirteenth overall pick. Um, do they need to get a defender at thirteen for you? If they're if they're drafting, if they're not trading back, if they're taking the selection at thirteen, does it need to be a defender? I don't think so. I think there are situations that can arise where somebody else falls, and if you can pick up one of these centers, uh, I, I probably wouldn't take any of the wingers. Even I like Pitkolzin, but I, I think he's going to take a while, and I'm not sure that's where the Panthers are at right now. But uh, if one of these centers falls, say for whatever reason, Cousins falls, uh, Cousins rather. I don't think that's going to happen. But if for whatever reason he was there at 13, I'm going to take him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty hard. I, I because I think Florida really needs a defenseman because I'm higher on these defense, uh, especially ones I think that'll be available at 13 than most. Um, you know, like I have Billy Hanola as my second best defender and, uh, a lot of people have him available at 20. So I, I, I'm kind of of the expectation that they get a defenseman at 13 overall and that defenseman, whether it's Sider, whether it's Soderstrom, Broberg, Hanola, it, whoever it is, their pretty set is going to be at least a second pair defenseman in in the next couple of years. Um, and if they can do that, I'll be happy. But uh, I, I, there's a few centers um, I like, and I think they could take a 13, and the biggest one being Philip Tomasino out of Niagara. Um, did, did you get a chance to see any of his games? Yeah, I watched a few, and he's uh, – where do I have him ranked? Yeah, I've got him ranked at 20, and – I could easily put him at 13. Um, he's He did seem to, just recently, he seems to be kind of getting a lot of buzz. And it wouldn't completely shock me if somebody took him in the top 10. Yeah. I mean, when I think of comparables for him, you know, Martin Nikas and Claude Giroux are the two players I think of the most. And uh, Martin Nikas, I think, went 12 or 13 uh Owen Tippett drafts and um but I think on a redraft would go a lot higher and obviously yep. Claude Giroux on a redraft would go very very high for his draft class um so those are definitely if you're picking of if you're reaching for a center it's definitely good to reach for those types of centers that seem to kind of over over uh produce their their draft type and only get better with age when is there's it seems to be kind of like two types of centers coming out of the first round that like the Claude Giroux, the headsy F3 type of traditional centers, whether it's, you know, a Giroux type or a Kopitar type or, you know, any, you know, Josh Norris, Colin White. Um, and then there seems to be kind of the Jack Hughes, um, Jeff Carter, kind of that high octane scorer type center um yep, definitely in in the first round do you have a do you have a preference uh for that and do you think that there's one or the other that uh florida would kind of benefit from uh yeah i think florida 
could definitely benefit from one of the high octane guys just because you have Barkov holding down that one C position and he does everything so perfectly all the time, but he's not the flashiest guy uh, when he's playing five on five. And you could kind of use somebody that's just going to create chaos, break up the play, do circles around the net and that kind of thing to just give you... And I guess Trocek does a little bit of that, but he's more north-south, up and down. If you could have somebody a little more like Matthew Barzal, that would be a nice 2C for Florida. Whether whether it's the first round, second, or third round even, um, is there any center from this or, or forward even from this from this draft that uh, kind of fits that high octane east west kind of create chaos never ending assault type of prospect yeah and i think it's one of the guys you wanted to talk about anyways because we don't agree uh mm-hmm. alex newhook is somebody i think is going to be uh controversial but he's probably going to end up in my opinion being one of the underrated guys from this draft. That's great. Uh, That's great to hear. Cause you know, when people say Alex Newhook, uh, I duck and hide and obviously I (laughs) duck and hit and didn't include him in my rankings. Um, but I I definitely want to hear all the good things about Newhook, what you see, um, and why you think that, you know, it's going to go a better way than how I see Kyle Turris or Bozak or, um, uh, Tyson Jose turning out so i would say he's got a little more skill than any of those guys uh tourist was the shot he he had the shot and he just used the shot and used the shot and used the shot and that was kind of in the bchl not the hardest thing to do new hook isn't a shoot first guy he has actually i've heard him compared to duchene which i think is wrong but he has that kind of speed and then he's way more like Matthew Barzal as far as how he plays. It's way more puck control, uh, turning guys inside out. Uh, I think he will be able to do that when he goes to college as well. Uh, the name I would throw out as far as a little more comparable from like a lower junior league would be Jamie Ben. He He doesn't play that style, but he has kind of a similar... Uh, vibe to him as far as personality and how he works and he doesn't always work which is maybe why it reminds me of Ben uh, he's a little inconsistent and I think that's one reason that people have not taken him as seriously as maybe they should have I'm ready to eat crow on him just kind of like I have and and was <laughs> with with Makar um, you know I think I I famously had Makar like in the in the high 30s, early 40s, um, in his draft year, and, and it was just because you know it's hard unless you see them 20, 30 times at, at that at that level to know if the consistency is there, if the skills, if if what they're flashing, if what they're able to do um, is going to be repeatable at a higher level, and with Newhook, I wasn't comfortable saying that, but. There was also a little bit, and, you know, this kind of happens with everybody and everything, you know, there's just some people that just don't rub you the right way, or there's just something that, you know, everyone, you just, it doesn't make sense to you. And I think that's kind of how Newhook was for me. 
Um, you know, I like his pace, and I and I do like that he likes to go east west, especially off the cycle or off the rush, and uh, cutting across tops of the circles, and and uh, I think he'll he'll do well, but. At the price it's going to take to get him, I was never really interested, and and I don't think I had any buy-in past that. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the BCHL is definitely a difficult league to kind of gauge talent in because guys like Turris do stand out there, even though they're not what people think they're going to be. Uh, I watched Matthew Barzell quite a bit when he was even before he was in the dub uh but in the dub and new hook that's the best comparison as far as i can tell uh very similar uh kind of roving just going to carry the puck until he has an opportunity to do something with it uh, great hockey sense a little bit of an edge to his game which barzell doesn't really have uh he is a newfie uh, i can definitely see him doing very well in college. Uh, he'll take a little while to get to the NHL, but I think it'd be very worth it. And I guess that's that's another difference um, I have over over many, uh, especially in the top 15 uh, of the first round, um, NHL readiness and, and the ability to step in the NHL, whether next year or the year after, is, um, is pretty high on, on my uh, traits. Um, for selection so kind of makes sense I, I do see new hook um, taking a bit longer I don't think it's gonna maybe take as long or as be as anticlimactic as say a Mark Jankowski um, but you know at least <laughs> that took a long time <laughs> you know at least Jankowski made it and, and is a useful player in the end so um, yeah. if it would take new hook that long to realize his potential um, it'd be worth it. I definitely wouldn't want to pick him high and then rush him and, and, and risk blowing that potential. Um, but, you know, I do worry about, might be recency bias, but the Jay O'Brien, the, you know, coming from a low league, 5'10", guy who can play center and wing, who, you know, is really good at making these seams east to west and, and creating space. Um, but then, you know, when O'Brien goes to Providence, you know, something doesn't, he doesn't even accelerate to the competition level fast enough, or, you know, it's just the day-to-day grind is harder for him or, you know, juggling that in school is, isn't, you know, he doesn't have the time management for it or whatever. He's now going to the BCHL next year and he'll be going to BU the following year and, you know, for a first-round draft pick, you hate to see kind of a, a broken development like that post-draft, especially for a first-round pick. And, uh, you know, I worry about that with Newhook. I think it helps that um, judging fight by tape that Newhook seems to have be less reliant on his skating and more reliant on intelligence. And, you know, obviously the BCHL is better than uh, New England prep. Yeah, it's not a bad league, but it's not not the WHL by any stretch. And if I was seeing him blow down the wing and just rifle shots past goaltenders, kind of like Jake Furtanen did in his draft year, I would be concerned. Uh, but he just he he picks apart 
other teams and does it with, yeah, mostly smarts, uh, hockey IQ, passing. Uh, he does have uh, a guy named Alexander Campbell he plays with that I like a lot as well. Uh, riskier pick, I wouldn't be taking him until later rounds, but they both have some upside. And if you get both of them, they have great chemistry. Uh, I know that hardly ever works out trying to draft two guys that play in junior together, but they definitely seem to feed off one another. Yeah, it definitely helps um, when you have talent to play with. And I know some other people may say, uh, and, and you might expect me to say with what I've said about the BCHL, is, oh, this guy's playing with somebody else who's got draft credentials in the BCHL that could you know, make his production look a little smaller in, in relation. But to me... You know, he he helped get somebody else into the conversation of the draft from the BCHL, and uh, if it, if it was somebody who was almost as talented as him or pretty talented, you know, it gives you more evidence and more data points that he can play with talent. And if you're going to be a top nine forward in the NHL, you need to be able to play with talent and adjust to different talent. Um, and you know, so it's not really that's not really a knock. Um, for the 13th, you know, just moving back to the 13th overall pick, um, you know, we talked about uh, Cider, and I think that's probably a good place to start um, because if I if I was betting money right now, that's the name I would expect to be heard at 13. Um, I don't know about you. That seems to be where it's going. Uh, it does seem like a Florida Panthers pick. Uh, a very unfinished uh, defenseman. Thankfully, the reason I like him, and I think the reason that it's a less dangerous pick than, say, like a Gabranson, he does have the the IQ. He knows how to play the game. He just hasn't really benefited from the level of coaching I think a lot of the other guys have. Once he's got somebody like Chris Pronger or whoever uh, talking to him on a regular basis, I think you'll see him continue to develop and I'm not really worried about him being a bust at all. It's funny you bring up Pronger. Uh, I've mentioned this a few times and the reactions have been pretty, pretty charged. So I don't know if I'm right in saying (laughs) this, but you know, in the defensive zone, um, I do see some Pronger traits with, with cider. Um, you know, the way he closes gaps into the corner and the, and the way he battles in, in front of the net and things like that. Um, so it would be nice to get, you know, a defenseman like that who has the size, the offense potential in the skating to be a pronger-like influence on a defensive core uh, in Florida. And you can see that, you know, he's definitely a defenseman that Talon would like um, a, a, as well. Yeah, he's got... Uh kind of like the soccer players I've seen from Germany. He's got the efficiency, the German efficiency thing going on. He assesses the situation, takes care of it however he needs to, and there's really not many errors going on. Yeah, it seems that the only time he makes errors with the puck, especially on a breakout or transition, is when he tries to do too much stick handling or he tries to hold on to it. You know, um, I think he's a, when he's breaking out and transitioning the puck he's very cerebral obviously um, I think he has you know enough hands to hold on to the puck in the offensive zone and make some moves but 
I think he does kind of tend to overthink things on the breakout, um, which is one of the areas uh, I, I'm worried about with him. Um, but mainly it's it's just a fit level with Florida. He's very active in the offensive zone. He likes to be on the hash marks below the hash marks in the offensive zone. Um, a lot of the game footage and games I've watched him, whether it's in the Dell or nationally, either in the Tier 1 or Tier 2 tournaments, um, he's back-checking a lot. And that just might not be the defenseman Florida needs. But you're also, like you said, he hasn't benefited from the coaching that other prospects have. Like Vili Hanola and Victor Schroederstrom and Bowen Byram have had much more probably NHL track type of training. And um, I think you can tame. That's probably the best probably buzzword to do with Cedar is tame. If you can tame his game, if you can keep him from running around, if you can... Um, but you can still keep that spark that he provides. Everything just seems to be moving in the right direction with him as far as scout hype, being a right-handed defenseman, being big and intimidating and forceful in both both offensive and defensive zones. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he can skate, uh, which is certainly a, a nice thing for a big guy. But he does have, and Ekblad had this too to a certain extent, he does have the tendency to play a kind of an immature junior style game at times. And like you say, if you can tame that, like Brian Campbell fixed Ekblad really quickly when he showed up in Florida. Uh, I remember, I think maybe even his first game, he tried to lay a big hip check in his own zone, kind of flying through the middle of the ice. And Campbell talked to him when they got back to the bench, and I never have seen him do that again. Uh, I think a little bit of coaching a little bit of his teammates helping him out and he would be set uh, potentially certainly a top pair guy but he could potentially be a victor headman type number one defenseman do you worry about the fact that aaron Eckblad seems to be the franchise number one defenseman you know at the end of last season he's the one defenseman that you project staying with the team long term especially given performance um, does it bother you that they'd be using a 13th overall pick to get a defenseman who probably slots in behind him on the second pairing? Or do you think that in this new NHL, two pairs, you need two pairs? Yeah, you need at least three, if not four, top-tier defensemen. Uh, you look at the Sharks. Uh, St. Louis, you could argue, at times people were really down on Petrangelo uh, and some of the other guys. But yeah, you need... You need at least four top-tier defensemen, and then you probably need four second-tier defensemen behind them. Yeah, definitely agreed. So at 13, who who are your top three? If, if you could boil it down to three people who you think are going to be realistically available at 13 and, and who you kind of choose from if you were Dale Talon. So the one guy that I'm kind of fingers crossed hoping might maybe be available at 13 is Peyton Krebs. Uh, not a defenseman, but it's somebody just because of the Achilles injury and everybody's like, Oh, it's not going to hurt him. It's not going to hurt him. I think it might make him fall. And I would have a hard time passing up on Peyton Krebs at 13. Uh, Maritz Sider. Absolutely. Uh, one of, 
and I for 13, you could probably trade down, but Soderstrom or Billy Hanola, both guys that I would be happy to take at 13 or trade down and get if you can. Yeah, and, and just to mention, the Achilles injury was um, a partial a partial tear or partial something instead of a full one, if that matters to you. So um, they're not expecting like a six-month or whatever recovery. Um, he should still have some off-season time to, to train and that kind of stuff. Um, so like you said, it shouldn't ding him too much but i mean in my mock draft i had him falling to ottawa and like six at like what 19 or something like that 18 just because i i do think it will kind of drop him out of a tier and i think you know when it comes to the first round when a sometimes why prospects fall so much is because once they kind of fall out of a tier teams you know have already kind of gotten used to that player and kind of settled on that player that is kind of hard to kind of squeeze in somebody else sometimes uh so i could see him falling but you're right i he shouldn't um given his his overall game um do, do you think and because the one knock i have on on krebs and and why he kind of sits at that uh second t- the bottom of that second tier of forwards to me is i'm not sure i see that high-end offensive um, ability especially under center do you see that yeah I, I don't know if he's going to be a center or not um i i don't think he's a guy like huberto who's definitely not going to be a center but um I, I can't decide one way or the other and part of that problem and part of what you're seeing i think is the fact that he plays on an awful awful team right. uh he's got nothing to work with and he's considering that he's done really really well uh, I've seen him enough to know that, or at least my opinion is that he's going to be so much better when he gets into a team with other talented players playing more of a systemic game. Uh, I think he would be, whether he plays center or plays the wing, I think he would be somebody that's probably being overlooked in this draft. Uh, a little because of the injury, a little because he didn't play with anybody worth mentioning. And just, it must have been soul sucking playing in that team on that team this year. Yeah, there's a another prospect, Maxim uh, Kajovic, um, who was in a similar situation with the St. John Sea Dogs, and and what I noticed with uh, MC because I don't want to pronounce that last name again um, <laughs> was by the end of the year he was looking off teammates. He was kind of getting tunnel vision, especially below the hash marks, and kind of was doing it all himself when he needed to the thing with Krebs is beginning of the year end of the year he never stopped looking for teammates he never stopped trying to create he never stopped looking for his wingers when he was under center Um, and with how bad that year was it's definitely I mean he might win he might already be nominated for the Masters in trophy in the NHL (laughs) based on his year uh in the W, but it's that type of kind of adversity he faced and, and overcame and, and just that it didn't make him go into bad habits. It didn't make him change the way he played. Um, I think says a lot, uh, especially when prospects are really moldable and really easily 
easily succumb to, you know, good and bad paths um, to see him kind of kind of you know fight against it was was a good sign for him i'm not sure if i'd be okay with the panthers taking him at 13 um i don't know if it's that mike richards kind of um i don't know how how i address that players centers that i feel are like mike richards uh i love that style I think it's valuable, but I'm not sure long term if that's something you want to get getting into at the top 15. But at the end of the day, I, would I turn down Mike Richards or Peyton Krebs? No, not at all. Yeah, and I, I mean, Mike Richards was pretty skilled, but I see him as having a higher upside offensively. Uh, he's got awesome more passing uh, ability and. Just uh, he he does in some ways remind me of Huberto. He can make plays like that. Uh, I really would like to see him, and I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not. Get out of the situation he's in. Definitely does have the Mike Richards grit, leadership skills, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I would be I would be pretty excited if we drafted him, and a little bit concerned, uh, just because of the situation that he's likely going to go back to. Yeah, hopefully uh, the right the team the NHL team that drafts him is able to force a situation change. I did want to go over some of the prospects that our list differ on, um, and, and starting off with somebody that we both regard pretty highly, um, but I think is enough difference that we should mention it, and that is Bowen Byram. Um, I want you to sell me on. His first pair, uh, not just a Morgan Riley, not just an offensive type defenseman potential. Yeah, he's definitely, and for whatever reason, it seems like as the season kind of went along, it got more and more that he was just an offensive guy. I've never seen him that way, and I they play literally five minutes from where I'm sitting right now, so I see a fair bit of them. Uh, it is way more of a Drew Doughty comparison for me. Uh, he's maybe a little more, I think you called him a roamer. He's a little more all over the place than Doughty maybe, but uh, defensively he's very reliable, uh, pretty consistent. Uh, towards the end of the season, he did get a little sloppy. Uh, I think he was maybe worn down. They were playing him a lot. Uh, arguably, I'd say the team overachieved, and he was kind of the driving force, and he was just completely burnt out at the end of the year uh but they had a great season and if you're going to get there you got to push them uh i don't worry too much about the defensive side of his game a uh, few little things he needs to work on uh the standard sort of junior player he pinches when he shouldn't pinch that sort of thing but other than that uh he reads the play well he can handle Pretty much anybody. Uh, he's not the biggest guy, but he's got a little bit of snarl on him in the defensive zone. He's not going to clear the front of your net, but he's going to keep the guy from walking around him. And I think he's good enough in every other aspect of the game that I don't expect him to be uh, the perfect defenseman uh, in the back end. But he's not 
he's above average even in his own zone. Well, that's definitely nice to hear that, um, you know, someone who sees him regularly uh, thinks that the the issues around his defensive play is, is overblown. Uh, and I, I do have to say that I'm definitely in that crowd um, that may be overblowing his defensive issues. Um, I do have him in my first tier, but I have him behind Broberg, Hanola, and Sodersham, even though I admit that, you know, it's very likely that Bo and Byram becomes the best defenseman of those four. Uh, it would not surprise me whatsoever. It's just a style preference. Um, those Rovers, Roamers types, uh, I just, they always come second to me uh, compared to the Soderstrom, Hanola, Broberg types um, who maybe don't have that offensive ceiling but are much more uh, dependable and maybe there's not much work left in the defensive zone. Uh, I think I, I tend to prioritize those. Uh, but, I, you know, with Byram, I think he, he does win one-on-one and he's good off the rush. Um, am I crazy to, th- am I crazy to, to, to think that he is out of position too much in zone? Uh, Cause that's kind of where a lot of my, um, my concern is is in zone um you know when he's the far side or offside defenseman he he can get lost he can cheat uh and he can you know get lost in the play yeah he definitely has a bit of a tendency to kind of float away from where he should be kind of hoping for a pass uh he's I don't know if it's a an age thing or a coaching thing. He got worse as the year went on. So I, it could just be the media as well. You get a lot of media attention uh, in the position that he's in around here. So was he thinking, I need to put up these points, and he starts paying a little less attention to his game in the zone? Uh, it was a little, little odd seeing it get worse as the year went on in a year when you really expect things to get a lot better as it goes on. Uh, that to me is probably an age thing. Um, something that is very fixable, something you can definitely work on. Uh, I don't see it hampering him at the next level. Um, it's, he's never going to be your defensive defenseman stalwart on the back end, but he's so good at everything else that I'm kind of willing to forgive the little things, especially because I think they are fixable. Do you think it's Yandel bad? Like, do you think he's... Oh, no. No, no. Nothing like that. Nothing is as bad as Keith Yandel. <laughs> I've been calling him a, our third-line left wing for, like, four years now. Yeah. I, I like to... I like to put, put Tyson Berry as a pretty... You know, a somewhat responsible offensive-type rover, roamer-type defenseman. And, and you're thinking, you know, he's at least going to be that defensively responsible. Yeah, definitely. I think he could even be better than that with uh, a little bit of coaching. He's got the physical tools and he's got the high hockey IQ. I think somebody just needs to tell him, this is what you're going to do. Uh, I don't think anybody in Vancouver was telling him that. 
Yeah, and and that is a huge part of you know prospects is is the fit is the development after the draft, uh, and it's probably why the both of us have been pretty um, disappointed and hard on Florida to kind of improve their development, their AHL team, and and stuff like that because. It, it is how, you know, you can turn a good draft choice into a bad overall decision by, you know, not developing players the right way. And you can draft Bo and Byram, but if you're, you know, not getting the most out of his offensive potential, but then still, you know, addressing his defensive games or, you know, taking the opposite end, Victor Soderstrom and making sure that he hits on that offensive potential or Broberg and making sure he hits on that offensive potential and he can finish some plays um you know it's a wasted pick yeah exactly uh i think that's something that a lot of florida fans don't pay attention to there was a lot of flack for the drafting for a lot of years and now we're drafting better but our development is still terrible we put guys in terrible positions uh it does seem like they're starting to work on it but it's yeah it's it takes five years to fix. You start doing it, and then five years later, the players that you're drafting are going into a good situation. Yeah, and that's if you get it right the first time. So, yeah, it, it's 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 pretty paramount, but also it's something that's going to take a while. So, um, hopefully they get on to hopefully they get on that, and we can be patient and, and wait for it. Um, one of the one of the players that I didn't highlight in my rankings because I, I try to stay away from second year eligible players um, is uh, Fajimo uh, out of Sweden. Yep. Um, and another one is uh, Brett Leeson, who's a double overager, and uh, I think for plays for Prince Albert um, in, in the W. Uh, those two players can can you tell me something about them because I know you know a lot of people who follow Y hockey and stuff probably have not heard much because I don't say much about them. Fajimo, I don't know a ton about as far as watching him. I've seen enough internationally and uh, highlights and things to have a pretty good feel for what he does. He's just got a heck of a shot and he doesn't do anything else poorly. So he's a solid all around guy with a really nice shot. Uh, I've seen some comparisons to Silverberg, which I think are pretty accurate. Uh, I don't know if he'll turn out quite the same, but I think that's a reasonable expectation if you're drafting him. Yeah, that's a usable usable player. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, there is, because Silverberg really never developed into much of a scorer. Uh, Fajimo has more potential to actually put pucks in the net. Nice. Well, obviously, you know, more potential to score is uh, definitely something that uh, is a separating factor for a lot of scouts and general managers in the league. I I've heard a bit with Leeson or yeah Leeson um, that. The fact that he's a double overager might actually be beneficial to him at the end of the first round, given that most of the teams drafting there 
usually have thinner prospect uh, cupboards and, you know, would, would like somebody who's a little more NHL ready and a little more NHL sure. He's definitely a little more NHL ready. Uh, I really enjoy watching him. He's a fun player. Uh, that Prince Albert team was off, off, just off the hook. They were amazing. And, and I kind of wonder if that has made me a little more biased towards him uh, because he is pretty old for the WHL. Uh, and he's not, there's nothing that really stands out about him skill wise. He's good with the puck. He has a good shot. But a lot of it is just he's in the right place at the right time. And he knows when to show up. Uh, I think that's probably going to translate fairly well to the NHL. And he is definitely more ready than a lot of those guys are. But uh, it does scare me a little bit, too. You could maybe maybe end up with nothing at the end of the day. Or a career AHL player. Yeah. I I just kind of think about at Leeson's age, Quentin Howden was tearing up the WHL, and that kind of just. <laughs> I mean, and and I, from watching him play, it's not the same. You know, like Clinton, Quentin Howden was just living off of his speed off the rush, right? And yeah. just just getting to the net before the defenseman, um, it basically is how he scored all of his points. And, and you know, Leeson's not that um, simple. Uh, he has more skill and and creativity to his game. Um, but I, I do worry about that, that, you know, someone at his age should be expected if they're going to end up in the NHL at, at their age, they should be expected to be over a point per game. They should be, you know, doing what he's doing. And that's just kind of my my worry. But it was interesting to hear that, um, you know, I think it was Elliot Friedman, I think, who, who was saying it, that he thinks um, it actually is a benefit to a lot of teams that, that draft late. Uh, his age, um, which I thought was weird or, you know, at least intriguing, interesting. Yeah. If you're Boston uh, or even Anaheim drafting at the end of the first round, I could definitely see why that would be appealing. Yeah. And that might be one of the eight players uh, people think are, is NHL ready because, you know, he's not going to be in the WHL next year. That's for sure. No, and it wouldn't surprise me if they stick him in the AHL at the start of the year and he just tears it up and they have to bring him up. Uh, he's definitely... There's something about him, and I think it's just because that was such a good team that he played on that makes me a little hesitant, but he has the skill and the smarts to definitely keep doing what he's been doing. Well, hopefully I uh, didn't make a mistake by not including him. Uh, and just excluding him because of his age. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I think I might be okay. I don't think he's good enough <laughs> to make me regret it. I think he might be good enough that I maybe don't talk about him later and, and just avoid the fact that I uh, didn't rank him, but <laughs> I don't think he's going to make me eat crow. Um, no, he's not going to be a superstar or anything, yeah. but I think he could be a very good third-line NHL player. Yeah, which, you know, if you're a team that's constantly in the playoffs and uh, – you, you need four prospects right now uh, and you don't have much. Uh, that sure thing, that ability to turn somebody at that age into an NHL player may definitely be appealing. Um, the other player on, on the list that I kind of, before the call, uh, decided that I wanted to talk about was Hellison. 
Um, he's one of the U.S. defensemen that uh, I only ranked Cam York out of my list. Um, you know, Hellison and Marshall Warren were were close uh, were close additions uh, to the list, but I just I didn't see enough, feel enough, um, couldn't really bank on enough there. But I, I think you saw something. Um, yeah, he uh, reminds me of Chris Tanev, actually. Okay. Uh, or kind of a, you could say, uh, Brett Pesci, too. Just a very reliable, doesn't do anything wrong. You don't notice him a lot of the time. But he puts the puck up the ice really well. Uh, doesn't ever do anything that makes you want to rank him in the first round, but certainly does a lot of things that would make him a very serviceable second pair NHL guy one day. Well, that sounds definitely like the defenseman I prioritize, especially uh, with third and fourth round picks, uh, if he would get that far. Um, you know, Tanov is, is a very favorable comparison uh, and definitely a comparison that kind of makes makes me realize why maybe I didn't think of him or, or key on him when I was watching the, the U.S. games is, you know, if he is that quiet, if he is that subtle with his game, um, it, it's something you need a lot of watches and viewings to, to pick up on. Yeah, definitely. He's never, there's nothing about him that you're going to notice. Be like, wow, that guy's really, really good. You, If you do notice him, it's a bad thing most of the time. Right. Right. And, you know, my coach would say that's the type of defenseman I was. Um... Yeah, no, that was my game. I was I compare myself to Willie Mitchell a lot. I, I'm not ever going to do anything offensive that you're going to notice, but I take care of everything else pretty well. I was a Mike Weaver type of guy, so I understand that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Um so I think we talked about Florida 13. Uh, the only thing left to talk about is whether you would be pissed off if they took Knight at 13 or cautiously optimistic. I'm pretty much always cautiously optimistic. Um, it's a great trade about you, Trev. That's for sure. There you go. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with Knight. I don't think that would be what I would do. Uh, I just don't – I'm not comfortable enough with uh, rating goalies to know if he's really that good or not. And I don't think it's a pressing need. We have a pretty good young goaltender, and we can certainly pick another one up in the second or third round this year. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I don't think we really need to go any more into that other than um, would you be – even with the with the idea of Bobrovsky coming in and signing a long contract, would you be willing to take a chance on one of these older uh, Russian goalies like Kachev, or uh, who's I think twenty on draft day, and uh, Konolava or Kon? Let me pull this up. Konovalov. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Uh, yeah, who will be twenty one? Uh, at the draft and then, you know, the very end of his, uh, draft eligibility, would they, would they be people, would they be goalie prospects you'd be willing to take even with Borowski? 
Yeah, absolutely. I would take either of them. Uh, my preference is Konovalov. Uh, what he did in the KHL this year was pretty impressive. Uh, if we could pick up either one of them, I think that, I mean, it's really hard to say with these Russian guys if they're going to come over or not to begin with. Well, I mean, but, uh, I guess the benefit is, you know, if you do end up with Bobrovsky and he does, you know, end up being good more than just, you know, the first three years, this is a goal that you can kind of just forget about it. You can kind of just go away. It's not something you have to really worry about. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> He's just in the bank for whenever you yeah. need him. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that maybe be nice. Um, are there any guys that you would kind of target for day two um day two is usually a free-for-all uh the second round's usually pretty tidy but by the time you get to the end of the second round beginning of the third round um there's guys going all over the place uh the you know things start going rapidly and uh anything can really happen is is there anybody that you target uh, for floor that you think would be a great addition to the prospect pool yeah, I definitely think, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Liam Keeler, Edmonton. No. Uh, the WHL. No, no, not too much. Yep, so he's draft eligible this year. I don't know where he's ranked on other people's lists. Uh, I haven't really seen much of him, actually, in uh, people's top 100 lists. But he's a just speed for days. He can skate and skate and skate. And... I think he'll probably be a center at the next level. He's pretty smart, uh, doesn't have a bad shot, makes pretty good passes, but the thing that stands out is definitely the skating. And if you can get him in the fourth or fifth round, that seems like a heck of a deal. Uh, he could definitely be a guy that... There's a little bit about him that reminds me of Trocek. Uh, you could definitely see him turning into that. And if you can get that in a late round pick, that's a, a pretty nice thing. Do you think he has, he's primed for a good role uh, on the team next year? Yeah, I think he'll definitely be uh, one of their top two centers next year. I'm not sure about how Edmonton's going to fare. Uh, they've got a few guys that are going to be gone. And just in general, they're not. there's nothing that really stands out about them so it's hard to say if they'll be a good team or not uh top team i'm sure they'll be okay but uh, i think he could go from i think this year he had like 20 25 points i think he could easily have a point per game next year or more yeah and and that's definitely the type of production um you'd be looking for in, in that draft plus one year uh for someone like that um my big guy that I've been telling everyone about is Ivary Rassinen, the D. I think, you know, Florida could get him in the fourth round. Uh, even though he wears 44, I don't think that's the reason why I keep seeing Kimo <laughs> teaming in when I watch this guy play. But the, he just, he's always making the right pinches. He's always making the right steps. His, his stick's always pulling pucks out. Um, from players' possession. I mean, he's stripping guys uh, pretty cleanly, uh, stepping up at the blue line. Uh, he, he makes good breakout passes. He has a good first step uh, acceleration, even though he doesn't have maybe the biggest top-end speed um, or the cleanest footwork. 
Uh, but I think he, you know, he rates out average to above average in, in every single tool set. Um, but it's the compete and just the way he uses his brain and, and just the way he makes the most out of it. And like, unlike a lot of the European draft eligible defensemen I like, he doesn't have any pro experience. He's a junior A kid in, in Finland, but uh, I, I think that aggressive competitive style of defense translates to the NHL nowadays. And uh, with the ability to maybe even get him, you know, in the, in the later rounds, like the fifth, sixth round, because uh, from everything I've heard, even from the Finnish centric people, um, he's, he's third, fourth round just because he doesn't have top pairing potential. But, you know, if you're not a big guy who needs ceilings, who needs high ceilings in the third and fourth round, uh, he's definitely your guy. Yeah. If you can get somebody who's a Kimo Timonen type guy in the third or fourth round, that's a heck of a steal. Yeah. And you know, maybe that's just, uh, my imagination running wild with me, but, uh, you know, it's a tapper guy, so obviously I really like him there. Uh, but yep, definitely. I, so I, I got to see a lot of his games, and and by seeing, you know, I think more games than a lot of the scouts gave, you know, him time for. Uh, I maybe saw more than them. Um, I think uh, another guy that I really like is Elmore Soderblom, who's a six-seven winger from Sweden. Uh, it's very rare that you see these big. Sweet, these big European wingers uh, who who don't come over to North America like for junior or anything, mm-hmm. um, but and I have not seen him play even like in the calendar year 2019. <laughs> uh, but his last time I saw him play was like in the fall. His hands were average, were above average for his size, you know, average altogether. His skating's average, above average for his size, and uh, he seemed to be trying to put himself in the right spots and, and have a pretty good head and, and a pretty good nose for the net. So if he has the Swedish types of patience and uh, smarts, plus that North American type of big body crash the net style, that could be just a really weird uh, prospect for the Panthers and they could probably get him sixth, seventh round. So uh, low risk there. Yeah. I'm just looking at his stats and his photo here. He looks like he's 12. So <laughs> if he's 220 and 6'7", and he looks like that, I can't even imagine what he's going to look like when he's 22. No, but I can definitely see where, like, if he's going to turn into just this monster that can skate and has yeah. a bit of hockey sense, that would be a, a nice player to have in your system. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I remember Logan Brown from a couple of years ago, and, you know, I'd he was a first round draft pick and I don't think he's as good or as talented as, as Logan Brown, but he's not too far off. So if he can get that in a sixth, seventh round first, you know, first round pick. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's not too bad. And, and with the, with Florida having three fourth round picks and, you know, more than seven picks altogether, it's not like they're throwing it away, whether they want to use it on Soderblom or, or an overager like Maxim Malman that they're just going to use, abuse, and let go, um, it'd still be worth it. Yeah, with those fourth-round picks, you have a lot of options. Uh, I could definitely see them, whether it's a guy like Keeler or uh, Rassanen or this guy. uh, Those are all interesting prospects that it would be nice to have in the system. Yeah. Uh, A a guy I think that they could get at 52 and kind of goes against my rankings – um, 
because I, I I have him going in my seven round projected hypothetical thing for the rat trick before some skaters that I have way above him in the in the rankings. But Nathan Lagarre or Lagar, I guess is the correct per- French pronunciation. Yeah, uh, forty five goals, which stands out. Um, but there's a lot of I don't think he has that five on five Nathan McKinnon type of electric play, but the way he's low to the ground, he's got a big paddle and that rocket of a shot, um, especially around the tops of the circles and off the cycle where, you know, you can kind of see that, um, that forcefulness, that push the pace type of play and puck possession style that Nathan McKinnon has and 45 goals in the queue. I mean, that's, that's nothing to sniff at. It's not 51 like Kaliev or anything, but it's pretty still solid. pretty good. Yeah, and uh, you know he by the end of the year he was taking draws and uh, naturally um, he likes to play F3. So I think he while he's a right winger now he could be a right-handed center uh, in the future, um, which would also be a good reason that, to pick him a bit earlier because you know right-handed center is just like right-handed D always seem to have value. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember he can shoot really well. I remember that. Pretty good playmaker. I didn't love his skating, uh, which is a little bit concerning. But you see a guy like Bo Horvat who did not have good footwork uh, coming out of the draft and really, really turned it up afterwards. Yeah, I definitely use the name Nathan McKinnon, but I think Bo Horvat's definitely more closer to his real potential, to his real ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think the way he takes his stride and the power he gets from it uh, is McKinnon-esque. But like you said, it's not a clean stride. It's not something that's going to have him be in the top half of the skater or, you know, the top echelon of skaters in the NHL. Um but yeah, it, he definitely it, it, wasn't flying up and down the ice, but yeah. he, I, I did notice watching the, the games, yep. It's a good base of power, and it's that good center of gravity um, that I think will, in the corners when he's, you know, you know, pulling back and forth and, and doing his dipsy doodles and stuff that he kind of does, um, he has that power to, for those first couple steps to break away. Yeah, and it's not like, uh, if I remember their lineup correctly, he wasn't playing with some insane line mates. He was on a pretty, a good but pretty average line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was. So he's not being pumped up by somebody. Yeah, he wasn't being driven by you know a twenty-year-old NHL second-round pick center or something like that. Um, which is, you know, it, it it's not something you want to knock, but when when someone's driving their line on their own without NHL caliber talent, uh, it, it's definitely more noticeable. Yeah, that's very impressive. Um, was there, you know, as we kind of wrap up this show, is there anything that, any prospects you wanted to talk about, any anything Panther-related off-season draft um, that you wanted to talk about, whether you wanted to rant about how much they needed Panarin or how much they shouldn't sign Bobrovsky <laughs> or something like that, uh, feel free to take the floor. Uh, I would love it if they signed Panarin. Uh, if you can get him at $10 million, uh, I would do that in a heartbeat. Right, no-brainer, right? Oh, it's so so straightforward. Just take it and run. Uh, Any, I say anything below $80 million. 
yeah, that sounds reasonable. Uh, if you can get them for that, I'm pretty happy. And I just, him and Barkov on the same line would be insane. 100 points each. Has to be. Oh, easily. And Dadnov might get a 100 just by accident. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, definitely. I think Dadnov would be probably the happiest person in the world if that signing <laughs> ever goes through. Having his best friend centered with Barkov on his line. I think oh, that, that would be, be ridiculous. And he would just be seeing dollar signs because he knows he's going to get paid. Right, right. Uh, if if they get Panarin, are you are you are you trying to move Hoffman this summer? Are you trying to start the season with them? Are you thinking trade deadline? Or are you just hey, I'm just going to use them as their own rental? Depending how the draft goes, I am trading Mike Hoffman and potentially trading a guy like Sarah Noel. And trying to get one or two of the best defensemen I can get. Uh, whether that's, well, I shouldn't say the best. The, uh, the best fit for the defensemen. So I'm looking for somebody like a Chris Tanev or something along those lines. Uh, preferably a left-handed, left-handed guy, I guess. But uh, you need somebody who's a actual defender who's going to steady everything and just make it run a little bit smoother, put people in the places they're supposed to be in. Yeah. Because uh, at the moment, it's uh, a train wreck. And I'm I'm higher on Mike Matheson than a lot of people are at the moment. I think he's going to turn it around. But you got to give him some time and some space and trying to stick him on the first or second pair right out of the gate again is not how I'd be doing that. I'm definitely with you. I think, you know, Matheson's biggest issue is inside, in between his ears. And, um, you know, he puts too much pressure onto himself. He tries to force too many plays. He doesn't rebound after bad games quick enough. And that's all fixable. And the best way to fix that is soft minutes, third pair, not rushing them into big minutes in a year. You're pushing for the playoffs right out the gate, and you need that fast start. So I'm with you there. Uh, I may be more willing to move on from that contract than than you, but I'm definitely not trying to give it away or sell sell on it. Uh, I definitely want yeah, good don't want value. To sell well. <laughs> uh, I definitely want a defenseman I think is better than Matheson in return if I'm moving Matheson. Um, yeah, and I think you've got Ian McCaution in the system or up with the team a lot. That's his safety blanket. Put McCaution on the right-hand side put Matheson on the left-hand side for your third pair. And I bet they would do much better together than they do apart because they have that familiar familiarity and comfortable uh, chemistry with one another. Right. And I think that's the type of defenseman Matheson needs. Cause the issue with Pissick, I was saying was Pissick wasn't a good support option. Pissick wasn't, uh, always behind Matheson in an outlet pass when Matheson, you know, tried to make a move and then ran into traffic and had to peel back or things like that. Uh, and, and Matheson definitely want, needs a partner who's going to be thinking about Matheson more than everything else. And, you know, his number one prior, priority is going to be supporting Matheson. And I think you can find that with Makoshin, who's done that, done that well. And, you know, should be willing to fit any role to make the team, giving, you know, the kind of bubble he finds himself on. Yeah, I think that would be the best for both of them, really. I think that would be a situation they could both thrive in. 
the the number one defenseman I think of when I think of uh, who Florida should bring in is Hampus Lindholm. I'm not sure that's an actual realistic opportunity because he's on a really good contract. I think the cap's like five mil, a little over five mil uh, in Anaheim. And Anaheim did just move out a, a decent amount of defenders in the last couple of years, so they might not be willing to move out more uh, without you know a guy like Trocek or Borgstrom or Tippett and change moving back the other way but that type of defenseman that high-end defensive puck moving uh transition type of defenseman would be great to pair with a guy like Ekblad who's lights out in the offensive zone and you know pretty capable everywhere else and definitely definitely underrated when it comes to breaking up plays entering his defensive zone yeah that would be that would be a dream come true. I don't think Anaheim's going to move him. Right, because, you know, would you move him? And... No, <laughs> yeah. definitely not. Yeah. Uh, and Anaheim tends to be pretty on the ball with that kind of stuff. They don't give away many players they shouldn't. Right. Uh, a guy that you guys mentioned, I think one of the last couple of podcasts, was uh, Nikita Zadarov. I don't know what Colorado uh, feels with him, if they're going to keep him or try and move him. If you have a chance to get him, that would be a heck of a top pair, Zadarov and Ekblad. And it would be cost-effective, and it's not something that you would be locked into long-term. So if it didn't work out, or if you drafted someone at 13 that ended up being better, or if Matheson rebounded, you could move Zadorov down the lineup. His cap hit wouldn't be out of place, and he would wouldn't feel out of place, wouldn't feel be that he was underused or, you know, cause he can move up and down and play all three pairs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the one other thing, and it's a, it, it wouldn't even help this season, but Trampkin from Vancouver who played the one season and then went back to Russia. I don't think Vancouver wants to move him out, but I'm sure for the right price they would. And he is a heck of a player. I would love to see him as a Panther. If if Florida, you know, if any team had the ability to get him to kind of force a trade to, to their team, it would be Florida uh, getting some of the Russian players to be like, hey, just tell Vancouver you're not coming back unless they move you to Florida uh, or something yeah, like that, you know. Get, that could use be the Russians. We seem to be... Well, we seem to be developing a bit of a Russian mafia, so. Hey, I mean, it, whatever you got to do to win at this point, and uh, it's definitely oh, illegal. Exactly. So. Uh, Detroit had the Swedish mafia for years, and that worked pretty well for them, so. Yeah, yeah. They used to, uh, I forget which, if it was Thomas Holmstrom or somebody else, at one point they were, basically telling the coach which defenseman they were going to play, and it was always the Swedish defenseman. That's um, that's kind of how I am, so that <laughs> makes me very happy. and makes me feel good that I grew up with a, a Sergei Fedorov jersey above my bed. There you go. The original best defenseman, Sergei Fedorov. He's that one good. Of the, one of the all-time great hockey players, full stop. Yeah. Fedorov is one of the only forwards that could have won a Norris. And I think the the next name I would say is Barkov. Oh, easily. 
I, yeah. I don't think he ever should or would, but if he wanted to play defense, he yeah. would be amazing at it. I remember Scotty Bowman, uh, I forget where I read it or heard it, or, you know, it was a while ago because Scotty Bowman talks so much, um, <laughs> but was Scotty Bowman was saying that Fedoff would always bug him to play defense. If, some, if a defender got hurt in the middle of the game, if, you know, <laughs> something would go down, Fedoff would always try to be like, oh, I can play instead of going to 5D or something like that. And Bowman always said that he always worried that if he left Fedorov on defense too long, he would want to stay there. Um, and that is kind of how I feel about Barkov, that uh, he could easily transition to a defenseman and be, you know, a 30-minute-a-night top-end defenseman, still score 60, 70 points. Yeah, he would be Brent Burns, except for comp- competent defensively. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> It'd be like Nick Lidstrom with less um, responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be it'd be fantastic. Way more first assists. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. Um, the last player I wanted to bring up, um, Finnish player from the USHL, um, Marcus Callian Kelly, Sioux City. Line mates with Bobby Brink. Um, and, and the one thing to note is uh, he will be going back to Finland next year, um, which which I find uh, pretty good and, and promising to get into some professional league. But he's half Brazilian, half Finnish, and he had more... Uh, How does that even happen? Uh, I, I don't know, but I want to find <laughs> out so badly. Like, I bet you this guy tears up the pregame soccer, like, pass around. Just doing bicycle kicks in the hallway. Right, absolutely. Like, he, this guy's probably sick at soccer. Um, but he also had a greater percentage of points of his team's 5-on-5 five five points than Bobby Brink. And uh, I think that's something to be wary, uh, to be aware of when the fact that Bobby Brink's probably not making it outside the top 50 and Marcus Callion Kelly is probably going to be available in the fourth or fifth round. So there's a lot of value there um, if you believe in the player, uh, and I certainly do. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know much about him uh, other than the name and that he plays with Brink. Uh, I am not much of a Brink fan. So I would, if you can get this guy with a much lower pick than Brink, of the two of them, I'm going to take him. I was a big fan of brink as in i liked watching brink play this year i'm not a big fan of brink as in using a first three rounds pick on him i might you might convince me to take him in the third but the people talking about taking him in the first i think are i I think he goes in the first i'd be surprised if he doesn't i've got him going 23 to the island um i think i ranked him 27th and i do have to admit he's got a great shot he's very skilled but there's just so much about him that there's so many warning signs not the least of which is playing in the ushl right and And the second is skating which is uh... well that's everybody compares him to to debrinkat but debrinkat was not playing in that league uh wasn't Putting it, he was putting up great numbers in a better league at the same age. Yeah, and and I think you know Debrinket 
was a little more well-rounded. He was definitely more involved in defensive play, definitely had more crease time. Um, and you could see, you know, the bottom six type of traits uh, in Debrinket a little more, um, at, like you said, at a higher level too. Yeah, definitely. The only thing I like about Bobby Brink is his middle name. Middle name is Orr. That is that is a good one, uh, and his name does have Rink in it, so uh, that's you know. There you go. It, it's on a lot of levels. I I I just think he's exciting. You know, at least at the USHL level, uh, he was exciting. He was creative, um, and I think if for whatever reason, if he can improve his skating, if he can carry that on to a professional level. Uh, I, I have him going to Boston in the first round because I think with how they've picked for Toronto um, and uh, some of the other snipers, they really focus on shooting skill. DeBrusque, who who also I think had a pretty choppy um, yep. stride and skating style that I thought needed a lot of work. Um, but, uh, ascension, same thing. Yeah, I think they, they don't mind taking on that project and they think they can they can make it worthwhile and they just prioritize that shooting skill, especially, you know, late round one, round two, um, that I think he's a good fit there. Uh, another guy that we didn't talk about is Elbin Grew, uh, who some yeah. people have insanely high. I have him insanely high probably. Yeah, I think you did. Uh, and I just don't see it. I'll tell all. you, I'll tell you why. Because I, I heard a scouting report that called him a, t- a T-Rex. And I immediately <laughs> immediately saw that, loved that, and, and just... He's a little bit of Jake Borchek in him where he he's a pretty big shoulders-down puck possession winger who doesn't mind pulling up and, and finding plays off the rush if he you know needs to buy time. Um, but the, the fact that he was called a T-Rex is because... Every he, every puck he thinks is his puck. Every player he goes up against, he thinks like is below him, is prey, is is you know is just food for him. I I haven't seen many games where he hasn't gotten a power play just from stirring the pot and getting someone to retaliate. Uh, and, and that's somewhat valuable, especially um in the NHL where they like to decide playoff games with power plays and and uh referee decisions and discretions i think he can really um play into that um but i also do like his puck skills his his smarts and that um but when it comes to those grit those skill those um kind of tenacious pass type of players uh he would be my pick out of this draft class over everybody. And I probably bump him up a bit because of that, because, you know, I'm not big for drafting on past and, and that type of uh, ability, but he has it for sure. On my list, he's 52nd, but I've got him going to Philly at 41. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely a Philly type player. Yes. <laughs> and since I was born raised in Philadelphia and, uh, and also a, until recently, until the Chuck Fletcher era, a pretty big Flyers fan. Uh, uh, yeah, that definitely makes sense to me. Um, 
Yeah, I just really love that he was called a T-Rex. I just think that's great. Because he kind of does have like that short arm, short stick reach. So it kind of makes sense there too. But he's also like a pain in the ass. And he does just think he's better than every single player on the ice, which is funny. (laughs) Yeah, I could definitely see him in Philly. And I think I've got Philly taking Peyton Krebs at 11. So you could come out with... A whole lot of grit if that's how it goes yeah and you you know you could have you could have uh grew krebs and farabay on on a farabay on the same line uh down the line uh which yeah, would that be would... just probably the most versatile flexible second line you could imagine just the most annoying bunch of players yeah yeah sure. <laughs> anything anything else before we before we wrap up um, I'm definitely going to have a couple rapid fire questions for you before we, uh, wrap up. Um, but anything else you want to discuss? Uh, one last name, actually, sorry, two last names, Go for Lassie, it. Lassie Thompson from Kelowna. Uh, I think there's, again, he's a little bit like Chris Tanov, maybe a little more offense there, but he just, he's good at everything. He's very reliable. Uh, I could see him going early second round to somebody and they're going to get a solid defenseman out of it. Uh, I could, the other one, I could see sorry, him even sneaking into the first round for a few reasons. Cause he's a right hander. Like we talked about, uh, because he's got a pretty hard shot from the blue line and can score from the blue line in the NHL by that shot. Yep. Um, and then also usually a right handed shot with a bomb from the point. They're not good skaters. He's, he's pretty good. He's a very good skater. Um, so yeah. I think that that might see him jump into the first round. I definitely think he's first round level, um, but I could, you know, I can understand why other teams don't. He's not as exciting, but I've got him going thirty to Boston, and I can That'd definitely be a great see him. Great pick. Yeah, uh, I can definitely see him doing very well on a team like Boston. Uh, and the other one was Trevor Kuntar. Uh, from the USHL. Okay, let's let's hear about him. I've I've maybe seen a couple shifts of him, or, or you know, highlight packages. He doesn't do anything amazingly. He's a good playmaker. He's got an okay shot. He's a good skater, but not gonna blow you away with it. But he does everything well enough, and then some things very well. Uh, he kind of reminds me a tiny little bit of Mark Shifley. Ooh. Yeah, so that's you hear that it's kind of exciting. I don't know. Again, USHL a little bit hard to gauge, but uh, for somebody that I don't think is going to go in the first couple of rounds, uh, I would certainly be willing to take a flyer on him uh, in a fourth or fifth round pick. He never gives up on the play, competes hard, and he can dish the puck fairly well, well enough that I think he's going to be. Who who knows where he tops out, but I think his ceiling is certainly pretty high. Uh, terrible name, though. The name is a problem. <laughs> yes, especially for someone who can't pronounce names like me. Yeah, it, it's going to be an awkward one for announcers to say. Yeah, especially like in those passing plays where it's like, you know, Matheson to Barkov to, you know, yeah, it's... <laughs> Especially if we get more Russian and, and more European and have and Finnish and have tons of vowels and consonants all over the place, it's going to be almost impossible. That's what it looks like the Panthers are going to have. <laughs> I could not be happier. I honestly, 
like if they just add another like a Swedish defenseman or two, I'm like in paradise. <laughs> you know, like I just that's the one thing I can't get is like why Florida. You know, since Michael Samuelson, they just cannot deal with Swedish players. Um, yeah, it is a little odd. We are fine with Finnish and Russian, but the Swedes don't like it down there. Yeah. So hopefully we can change that because, you know, even though Henrik Bjorkstrom's Finnish and everything, he's got some Swedish in his DNA. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully build on that. You got to think at some point it will happen. There's too many good Swedish players to just never have one. They make too many good defensemen too. Like at some point, if we're trying to improve our blue line, we're going to stumble into one, right? I mean, <laughs> I was kind of thinking that Alexander Edler was going to end up in Florida, but it looks like he's going to sign with the Canucks. Yeah, which you know, Edler definitely was kind of in that range of acceptable veterans. Uh, Coburn kind of almost snuck into that range too, but I definitely would have preferred Edler. Um, Edler kind of is like a poor, poor man's Matthias Olin to me. Um, yeah. Uh, he, he has a tiny bit of the Gabranson problem where he gets the puck and just kind of freezes. Yeah. Uh, but that's really his only fly. He's a really, really reliable, solid defender otherwise. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I, I don't think... I don't think he's useless. I don't. I think there's a there's a good amount of veteran defensemen that outlive their usefulness. But I think he probably has a season or two left uh, that he could give to a playoff or you know an almost playoff quality team. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if he's going to play with somebody like Ekblad, who's going to shoulder most of the load for him. Right. I mean, how many lives has Dan Hamus had? So. I sometimes forget he's still playing. Right. Yeah, he he just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. I mean, it's almost been five years since he uh, told Philadelphia he was not going to sign with them no matter how much money they offered him or if they traded (laughs) for his rights. And then Philadelphia traded for his rights and figured, hey, we'll we'll still try to convince him he'll sign, and he did not. It's been almost five years since that happened, and he's still in the league. I'm as confused as you are. Yep, well... Hopefully one day he retires happy. But, uh, Maybe with a cup like Jay Bomeister. That would be great. He he was one of my favorites in Vancouver. He was a kind of a throwback defender. Uh, big and for sh- guy, I remember big shin pads. Big shin pads, big hip checks. Uh, Pulled the socks down low over his skates a bit. Yep. Definitely an older looking he seemed like he was 45 when he was 30. Right, yeah. And and that's probably why we're still like, oh, I can't believe you're still playing. He's, we probably look him up. He's probably like 32 or something. <laughs> well, he was a pretty young guy when he started with Nashville too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I think that covers it. Yeah, I think it definitely does. Uh, I I appreciate you coming on and, and giving us time to, to talk about uh, – the draft, WHL, um, all the things I've missed on my rankings because I'm, you know, I'm sure even though I spent a good deal of time on it, I'm one one person, one one set of opinions, one set of eyes. Uh, so it's really great to to hear about the players that I I, I definitely overlooked. Yeah, definitely. Uh, likewise, uh, there's a lot of guys that like I've never heard of Rassenden before uh, that you have that I haven't uh, had time to look at. the favorite part of the, about the draft you get to 
hear about all these players and, and like them before other people do. And uh, I'm a little bit of a hipster that way. I like to like things before other people and be ahead of the trend. Exactly. It makes us better than them. Yes. I mean, it's the only thing I have to be better than other people. So it's definitely something I hold and cling to. Clutch my definitely. pearls, my prospect <laughs> pearls. And just forget about the ones you're wrong about. Yes, for sure. Don't don't mention them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just talk. Just remind everybody that I was really high on uh, uh, Jesper Brett. So uh, I got that one. Yeah. I'm going to dine out on Hepo Niemi yeah. for another five or ten years. Yeah. I had Hepo Niemi before Tippett in my rankings, so I'll, I'll dine out on that one. There you go. Um, yeah, so good, good luck to the Panthers who draft 13 and – you know, according to us, have a, a few good defensemen to uh, pass over uh, and make us mad about. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of how I look at it. Uh, when they take Bobby Brink at 13, we'll oh be God. so upset. <laughs> I can't even. I almost just pissed myself. Just, <laughs> you know, just lost all control of my bodily functions thinking about that. Uh it's definitely the most stressed I am when it comes to Panthers is the draft. Um, so on Friday, definitely stay away from Twitter. Don't don't bug me because uh, I'll be I'll be very uh, easily gullible and offendable and and uh, just very emotional on Friday. Yes, definitely. I'll be relaxing on an island, so hopefully it'll oh, be okay. God. You know, I, I can't even. I can't even. Hopefully, you can find some internet, though, and, and follow. I will on. have cell service, yep, and I'll be glued to my phone, even though I shouldn't be. Yes, well, you know, hopefully the wife lets you lets you go on that one. One day a year, you know, it's, it's better than Christmas. Exactly. Thank you uh, for joining us, uh, Trev, and make sure... Uh, listeners, you follow him at Precarious Photo. Definitely. If uh, if New Hook tanks, you can make fun of me for the next year. I probably won't because uh, <laughs> I, I've made worse picks for sure. For sure. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and yeah, I'll uh, I'll catch up with you on Friday and see how things are going. Yep, sounds good. Definitely enjoy that uh, that island and what I hope is uh, all inclusive uh, trip. It's definitely not all inclusive, but uh, I got a cooler full of beer, so it should be good. Well, there you go. That's that's all that matters. That's that's all exactly. I'm playing. So good to hear. <laughs> Thank you once more. Uh, and as I like to end the podcast with, uh, good night and good hockey. But this time, probably good drafting. Sounds good. Cheers.